Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. And I want you to, uh, to keep your finger in both of them if you have a paper Bible, and if you don't have a paper Bible, uh, what's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we're going to be looking at two main scriptures tonight. One comes from Psalm 34. And then we're also going to be looking tonight at the glorious book of Esther. Esther chapter 7. And we are so glad that you're here tonight. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy weeknight schedule to be in the house of God. I want to tell you that is an encouragement. It's an encouragement to everyone else who is here tonight, and it's, uh, it's an encouragement to me. So I appreciate every one of you. It's, it's good to have a pastor who's encouraged. Because if he's not, I sure have a bad day. So <laughs> Psalm 34 and Esther chapter 7. Uh, today is a special day on the Jewish calendar. Today is a feast day. Actually, it's a, it's a, a pre-fasting day. And then now as the sun has set, has, has started a, a new a Jewish holiday. And it is an ancient one that goes back directly to the scripture that we're going to read tonight. It is called the Festival of Purim. P-U-R-I-M. And it is a remembrance. It is a celebration of what God did for His people in the story that is recorded here in the book of Esther. And so to mark this occasion and to connect our current day events to what is happening here tonight, and also my prayer is that this message will strengthen all of us because this is a message that will help you. So on the face of the earth, I would argue tonight that there is not another group of people who have been persecuted more than the Jewish people. Of all the people on the earth, those who have endured the greatest amount of death, torture, eviction, persecution, no more than the people that we call today the Jews. Let me just give you a few highlights of a history of persecution. In the year 740 B.C., the Assyrian captivity, uh, ancient Israel and Judah, uh, many thousands of people were killed and then resettled in Assyria. In 586 B.C., the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian Empire destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, captured the kingdom of Judah and 10,000 Jewish families. 38 B.C., anti-Jewish riots erupted in Alexandria. Countless Jews were killed, synagogues defiled, Jewish leaders public, publicly scourged, and the Jewish population confined to one small section of the city. In the year 70 A.D., 
Over a million, think of this, a million Jews died, were killed, and 97,000 taken as slaves after the, second, uh, after the destruction of the second temple. Now this is, this is uh, right after the time of Christ, the time when the early church was just starting. A million Jews died at that time. They almost wiped them out. In the year 132, there was something called the Bar Kova Revolt. 580,000 Jews were killed. They were expelled from Judea. 624, with the birth of the Muslim religion, Muhammad watches on as 600 Jews are decapitated in Medina in a single day. 600 of them. 629, year 629, Byzantine Emperor Heraclius and his army marches into Jerusalem. Uh, they declared that the only Jew is the only good Jew is a dead Jew, and the only ones who survived were those who fled to Egypt. Skipping forward about a thousand years, there's a lot of others on the list here, but I'm just giving you the highlights or the lowlights, so to speak. For 1492, same year that Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? Well, same year, Ferdinand II and Isabella of Spain expelled the Jews, about 200,000 expelled them from Spain. They had to get out or die. 1543, our uh, favorite reformer, Martin Luther, for all the wonderful things that he did for Christianity, unfortunately was a terrible anti-Semite. And he wrote a pamphlet, and in this pamphlet he uh, had an eight-point plan to get rid of the Jews. He said, set fire to their synagogues. Their houses should be destroyed. The prayer, their prayer books and Talmudic writings should be taken from them. Rabbis should be forbidden to teach on the pain of loss of life and limb. In 1645, King Louis VIII of France decreed that all Jews must leave the country within a month on pain of death, nearly a million of them again. In the late, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, the famous pogroms of Russia, for many, uh, many decades, uh, the Russian government was, uh, was coming in and uh, persecuting Jewish people, and it was during this time that Americans opened up the floodgates of immigration, and it was during this time that many Jews came to America, including my own ancestors. Uh, my father's grandfather, his name was Harry uh, Dragunsky and came in the late 1800s to seek a life free from the persecution of Belarus and Ukraine and the, from those same pogroms of Russia. Of course, within the last hundred years, the Nazis attempted and almost succeeded at destroying the, every Jew in Europe, killing nearly six, six and a half million of them in only a few years' span. The Nazi Holocaust, and today, anti-Semitism is still alive and well. In many places in Europe, if you wear a yarmulke on your head or a Star of David on your clothing, you will be the, the, the target of criticism on the street. People throw rocks at you. People dump water. I, I watched a video on YouTube just a few weeks ago about a student, a 20-year-old guy 
and he was wearing a backpack, and on the backpack was a flag of Israel and a star of David. And that's all he was doing, walking down the street with a backpack on, and people began shouting at him, you dirty Jew, throwing rocks at him, began pushing and shoving, just walking down the street. This was in Paris, France. And it is alive and well uh, in many places in the world today. I'm saying all of that to say this. Jewish history can be defined in this way. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. And the Jews today are still thriving in many places around the world despite all of the enemies that they have gathered over the years. I would argue today one of the greatest evidence of God's existence is that there are still Jews on the earth today. Can you imagine? I've only touched the tip of the iceberg here. When I, uh, I looked up the timeline of Jewish persecution going back into antiquity, it was like a document that was 15 pages long, documented all of the persecutions. And I want to say tonight that despite all of the enemies that the Jews have had throughout these thousands of years, they are still here, they are still doing well, and at the end of this message, I'm going to show you why God allowed His people, Israel, to continue to exist. And why tonight this has meaning for you and I. I believe tonight that God protects His people. Are you with me? God gives us the victory and will preserve us. God never guaranteed that you would not have an enemy. As we see from this example, the Jews have had more enemies than anybody else. And yet, even having those enemies, the Bible declares that God will protect and preserve His righteous seed. That's where you get involved tonight. And so I want to read this scripture from the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, in verse 19. I pray that this speaks to you well tonight. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Can somebody say amen? amen. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. One more time. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Let's pray as we enter into this message tonight. Victory and preservation. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus, thanking you once again for the opportunity we have to gather in your house. I pray for hearts that are open, God, for eyes that would be open and ears that would hear. Lord, your truth for our lives. I pray that you would strengthen and equip us to live this life for your glory and for your purpose, God, that you would strengthen and preserve your people, the faith that is in the hearts of your people tonight, that you would do a great work among us in this place, and we give you glory for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people would say, Amen. Victory and preservation. Tonight, that's what God has for us. Victory and preservation. Now, sometimes I wish, sometimes I dream that, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to live a life without any enemies? 
Wouldn't it be wonderful to live a life where there was no difficulty that is brought against us? Where there would be no persecution brought against us? And we look forward to the day when Jesus comes riding on the white horse to make the world right again. To make the world great again, we could say. And to eliminate from this planet every enemy of God. And we see true victory for the first time. Now that day is coming, but that day is not yet, beloved. Until that time comes, we might as well get used to the fact that not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody is going to agree with you, especially tonight if you are a strong believer and follower of Jesus Christ. The truth is that when Jesus Himself, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who never uh, a sin, never lied, never caused harm to anyone, it was the same Son of God who had more enemies than most. Enemies that encircled around him. Enemies that ultimately led him to the cross. And Jesus said, he made sure that we knew that if you, we, if you and I are going to follow him, that we would experience much of the same. As believers in Christ, we will gain some enemies. We will gain some people Over the years, over the time that we serve God, we will gain some difficulties and some afflictions and some persecutions. And I would just add right here that if you are not experiencing any persecution or any hardship or any trouble in this world, are you really a Christian? Jesus upset the apple cart, Jesus rocked the boat. Wherever he went, he did not fit in with the crowd. So many Christians today are uh, lackluster. So many Christians today don't stand out, just want to fit in the crowd, go with the flow. But I want to tell you, that wasn't Jesus. If you truly live for God, you're going to rub some people the wrong way. That's what it means to be the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth is a preserving Uh, element, but it also can cause abrasion and pain. You know the old phrase, putting salt in the wound. Causes some pain, doesn't it? That's what the church is called to be in a sinful and broken world. The church so often has failed to be what what we have been called to be. The light of the world, the salt of the earth. And now when this begins to happen, beloved, when you find an enemy, somebody who disagrees, somebody who works against, somebody even with an antichrist spirit, it can cause the people of God to do strange things. It can cause us to have negative emotions and feelings. It can cause us to slip into bitterness and anger and rage. And nowhere is this wide range of feelings and emotions better described than here in the book of Psalms. David, 
the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. And yet David, we know, had a few enemies. Not because he wanted enemies, but because anyone who lives for God is going to have somebody somewhere who's going to come against them. For King David, it was people like Saul. Saul, who for, the own, for, for his own uh, problems and for his own uh, uh, sinfulness, his pride, his ego, he began to resist David. We know that, right? Became an enemy of David. Persecuted David. Chased him from city to city. Sicked the army after him again and again. And you read as David writes these psalms, you read about his wide range of emotions, about how sometimes he wanted God to destroy his enemies. You read in that first psalm, or second psalm, I forget exactly where it's at, where he's asking God to break all the teeth out of their head. Did you ever read that scripture? Sometimes I feel pray, like, like praying that prayer, you know? God, just beat them up and kill them and pull all the teeth out of their face. There were times when he prayed prayers of anger and rage. There were times when he even prayed and aligned with them. Sometimes David would just ask for guidance and wisdom in the face of those enemies. Sometimes he asked God and questioned God, How long, Lord? How long am I going to be in this situation? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, how long? Do I have to deal with this problem? How long do I have to deal with this idiot who's causing me so much pain? How long are you going to keep the victory from me? How long am I going to continue to suffer? Sometimes he asked God, how long? He wondered if God was even listening to his prayers. I know that you don't ever feel like that, but... Sometimes I can feel what David was feeling. It's very confusing many times for us to deal with an enemy. Can you say amen tonight? Naturally, what we want is God judge them. God do what's right. God, you deal with them. And when God does not immediately do that, it can cause us to be angry and bitter. Have you ever asked God to remove an enemy from you? And it seems like it hasn't happened. Sometimes we read Jesus where He says, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. And we think, I'm not sure about that, Lord. I'm a man of faith, but that's hard to believe. And so what we find tonight in our Scripture, if we look tonight into the book of Esther, we find... A story of God's deliverance. Now let me set the scene for you, for uh, those who haven't read the book of Esther for a little while. It's an amazing book. Esther was born. Uh, uh, she, was, uh, she was not always known as Esther, but she originally uh, had another name. And it was a Jewish name, and uh, it's here in chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to find it in a minute. Somebody help me. What's her, what was her original Jewish name? Hadassah. Yeah. And, uh, and so she uh, finds herself swept up in this, uh, 
in this search for a new wife. The, the king of, uh, of that land, the king, uh, he was not a, a Jewish man, he was a pagan guy. Um, and so, King Ahasuerus is his name. And so he, uh, he you know, in the chapter 1, he puts away his, his queen, and he, now he's looking for a new queen. And all of a sudden, this young Jewish girl finds herself swept up in this uh, Cinderella-style selection for a new queen of the land. The king, it's almost like he's interviewing for a new position, right? To be a queen of a kingdom like that, is a place of prominence and power. To be a queen means that she has prominence. And so, uh, but one of the things is that in the land where she's living, the Jews are looked down upon as they have been ever since. And so to conceal the truth is the only way that she can survive. So she gets a new name. Her name is changed to Esther. And as she presents herself to the king, He chooses her, miraculously, to be the queen of the land. And uh, and so, you you know how the story goes, that she has has a family member named Mordecai, who is a leader in the community, and he begins to uh, make his his position known. And then uh, there is a bad guy in the story. Now, when I was reading tonight about the customs of how the Jews celebrate this festival of Purim, one of the things that's interesting to me is that they read through the entire book of Esther in their synagogue meeting. So right now, many synagogues are meeting together and they're reading this story. But one of the things that they do is that, have you ever seen one of those little noisemakers that spins around and makes noise? You know? So they they have a custom that when they read through the story, and the name of the bad guy, Haman, is, is uh, mentioned in the story, that they use their little noisemakers every time the priest or the, the, uh, the guy reads Hanan, and they make the noise, everybody together, because they're blotting his name out for what he did. So the bad guy is Haman, and he, uh, he develops a strategy to try to remove all of the Jews, to try to kill them all. And you know the story. So uh, Esther agrees because now she has a position of prominence. And I would encourage you to go back and read this story in your own time. But here's where it comes to a final decision in chapter 7. And I want to read this with you tonight. If you'd open up to Esther chapter 7 and begin with verse 1. So the king and Haman went in to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom it shall be done. Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue. Although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. He's sitting there at the dinner table with them. 
So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king arose in his wrath in the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden, but Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw the evil that was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace garden to the, palace, to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. In other words, he's trying to kill her. And the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? And the word left the king's mouth. They covered Haman's face. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. The king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. What a drama. You wish they would have made a movie out of it. Oh, wait, they did. <laughs> they made a few good movies out of this story. But uh, what, this, uh, what this illustrates for us is the way that God takes plans and strategies that are meant for evil and how He turns them for the good. Have you ever had God take something that you thought was going to turn out horrible and then turn it for the good? Have you ever in your history, you've ever lost a job and you thought it was going to be the worst thing that ever happened to you, but it was because of that job loss that you applied somewhere else and got a better salary? Have you ever uh, gone through a situation where you thought it was going to be the end of you, that, that there, there's nothing good that's going to come out, and then God turns it? I want to tell you, we serve a God tonight who is able to turn things for the good, to turn things for righteousness. And I believe tonight that when we are dealing with the problem of enemies and persecution, and difficulty and pain in our lives that we've got to keep this in our minds. God, you are the God of Queen Esther. You are the God who can take all of the plans and the strategies that the bad guy Haman had to kill all of God's people and you are able to put it back on him. He had constructed these gallows, especially for her relative Mordecai, who was the leader of the Jews in those days. But what he didn't know, as he was building those gallows, he would be the one hanging from them. And I want to tell you tonight, when you see how God deals with his enemies, and it'll help you tonight, it'll help you to trust him when things are hard. So I want to give you a couple of points tonight. Number one, we must identify the true enemy. Identify the true enemy. Do you know who your enemies are? We have natural enemies in this world, the Antichrist spirit. There are people who come against us and persecute us. Uh, in our scripture, the, the enemy that is identified is this wicked man, Haman. He had been agonizing over how to get rid of the Jews. He hated them and wanted to destroy them. And could you imagine being Queen Esther in this situation? It would be very easy for her to direct all of her anger and hatred at this man. But that would be a mistake. 
When you think about your enemies, what we have to understand tonight is that we only have two enemies. We only have two. The first one is who inspires the attacks against you. We must realize that if someone comes against you in this life, it's not just them. There is an inspiration. There is an enemy behind the enemy. And that enemy tonight is the same enemy that has been trying to destroy the people of God ever since the beginning of time. It is Satan, our great enemy, the thief that Jesus spoke about, the one who came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so it does no good for us to get angry at the people around us who are speaking the words of evil, who are bringing the the attacks against us. It doesn't help us a lot to strike back against them. What does help us is to identify the true enemy. Devil, this is you. Sometimes there is an attack from hell. Can you say amen? Sometimes the demons of hell are arranged against you. Ephesians 6, verse 11 tells us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. What we realize tonight is that God never called us into hand-to-hand combat. He never called you to be Rambo for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? He never called us to, uh, to, to uh, strike out physically. You never see Jesus striking back at anybody, right? When you see the, the temple guards come to arrest Him in the garden, they're coming to arrest Jesus, and Peter, being the red-blooded uh, leader that he was, pulls out a sword to defend Jesus, begins swinging and hacking, and cuts off an ear of a temple guard. And Jesus said, put your sword away, Peter. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He never said fight back against an enemy. But I want to tell you tonight, the enemies that we really need to fight against are not flesh and blood. There are spiritual enemies. The real battle tonight, you are just a part of that battle. The real battle is between God and Satan, between heaven and hell. And so just by identifying the real enemy many times, that gives us some victory. But tonight, while Satan is a formidable enemy, there is another one that we need to identify. This enemy will give you more trouble even than Satan. This enemy will keep you from enjoying your relationship with God. This enemy will keep your mind in turmoil. This enemy will hound you day and night and fight you every step of your life. This enemy, no matter how young or old you are, will be with you always (laughs) until finally he is redeemed. You know who that is? It's you. Your sinful nature. That's why Paul, he cried out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Sometimes the greatest enemy is the inner me. I have given myself far more problems than the devil ever has. 
with my own doubt, with my own fear. And so enemies will come and go, but this enemy is stuck with you. Now, with those two enemies (laughs) that are arrayed against us and the world system that is behind them, how do we handle enemy attacks tonight? How do we handle it? We see it in the story of Queen Esther. What we have to do tonight is turn the enemy over to the king. See, we have a choice to make. We have to notice that this book of Esther, very, very uh, curiously, is the only book of the Bible that does not mention God by name anywhere in the whole book. It is a story of, uh, of redemption. It's a story of great power and salvation. It's a story of pre- preservation of God's people. And yet, he is never named in the book the name of God. This is why uh, many Jews who celebrate Purim on this day, that they will actually dress up like Halloween. And the reason they do that is kind of like a masquerade. They say that the story of Purim, the story of uh, Queen Esther, is a story where God is hidden behind the circumstances of men. And so they dress up like uh, you know, little children. They dress up like characters in the Bible things like this. But what we do notice here in the book is that Queen Esther never directly fights with the bad guy, Haman. Did you notice that? She never turns to confront him. She never puts her finger in his face. She never yells and screams at him. But do you know what she does do? She brings the matter to the king. In fact, uh, she breaks all of the earthly protocols. Uh, she puts her life on the line in order to do so. If you've, if you've seen the movie or maybe you've read the book, the book's always better than the movie. But you'll know that she puts her life at risk in order to break the protocol and speak to the king about the situation. She goes out on a limb, in fact, to make sure that the king hears her issue. I want to tell you tonight, when you have enemies in this life, when you have attacks from hell, it is a mistake for us to bring retribution, to try to bring revenge with our own hands. The best thing that we can do, beloved, is bring the matter to the King. King Jesus, I want to tell you what's happening. King Jesus you're going to have to deal with this situation because I can't. King Jesus, you know what's going on and I am trusting in you to bring deliverance. There are so many things that we cannot know when we start getting in trouble. Especially when that enemy is is the devil, a, a trained enemy who has thousands of years of experience tempting and destroying humanity. Can you say amen? We can't see the big picture. We can't see down the road, how it's going to play out. We don't know why God is allowing these bad things to happen in our lives. All we know is that we're dealing with enemies. But all of that together is just human reasoning and carnal behavior. If we're wise tonight, what we should do is go to the one who does know. The one who knows the beginning from the end. The one who can see 
how every situation is going to play out in the end. We should go to the king, the one who has the power and the authority to do something about it. God alone knows all the details. And so we ought to allow him, beloved, to carry out his will. One mistake that we can make in the midst of attacks of the enemy is we should not allow ourselves to fall into sin. Just because you're under attack doesn't give you an excuse to act like an idiot. Just because you are being attacked does not give you license to violate your relationship with God. Some people said, well, they hit me, so I hit back. Is that what Jesus did? Is that how he lived? Is that what he taught? They hit me, I hit back twice as hard. That's not the command of Jesus. I don't know where you got that from. That only applies, beloved, when the devil attacks, we hit back with righteousness. You cannot on one hand wish evil or want vengeance on your enemy and then claim on the other side to be right with God. Jesus, He commanded us to do something radical. Love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. Gentleness and goodness, faith, meekness, Temperance, that's not all the things that we feel when when we're in the middle of a conflict, is it? But those are the things that should spring out of us when we have fellowship with God. When we know Him. And we bring our issues to the King. And you know what we do? God, I'm angry. God, I'm upset. God, it hurts. God, there's difficulty, conflict. How do I... And we're able to connect with God and we come out of those meetings with God with all the fruits of the Spirit. I don't know how it's going to work out, Lord, but it's in your hands. That's what faith does. That's what Esther did. She brought it to the king. That's why the most important place you can go in a conflict is to him. No matter who the enemy is, turn that enemy over to the Lord and pray for the will of God to be done. If you attempt, beloved, to seek vengeance, don't tell me I'm the only one who's ever done that, then you yourself have fallen into sin. When you begin to take justice into your own hands, you fall into sin. When you allow wrath or strife or hatred or bitterness to come into your heart and camp out there for a few weeks, months, years, decades, then you've fallen into sin on account of that enemy. Listen, I've seen it happen with married couples. It always starts small. She does something that he can't stand. So he does some, a little something to get back at her. That's a little tit for a little tat. Right? It's a little word. Oh yeah, really? Bah! It's an exchange. Oh really? Oh, pick up my underwear, watch this, blah. Well, yeah, well, your mother. Oh, yeah, well, you look. And it's, it starts out small, little things, back and forth. And before long, a jousting match with words and feelings where there are no winners anymore. 
there are only losers. And if we would simply treat each other like Christians, <laughs> wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be amazing if we could all just treat each other like Christians are supposed to act toward each other? Wouldn't it be nice if husbands and wives could just act like Christians when they're at home too? Instead of acting like little children? Act like a Christian. Treat your husband, your wife, like a Christian. How many problems would be solved if we would simply bring those problems to the Lord? Say, God, my husband or my wife. God, my children, my parents. God, my, my schoolmates, my classmates, my workmates. They're, they're so stupid. God, I want to lash out. I want to bring an attack. I want to say this. I want to let my mouth do what I know how to do well. But God, you know what's going on. Can I tell you, that is the best way to fight the battle. Did you ever read that scripture where Jesus said, be kind to your enemies? Because by doing so, you are heaping coals of ash on their head. Boy, I, I read that scripture. I love that scripture, man. Did I tell you, I, I don't think I told you guys this story. Maybe I did. But this, this guy called our shop and he was upset. I think I did tell this story. But he was so upset and angry because we forgot to do something on his computer. And uh, and. And, you know, he was saying, oh, you, you have to fix this. You have to do this. You're not treating me right. And we were doing the best we can, bent over backward for the guy, right? <laughs> so finally, we went through the whole thing. We solved the problem. And he was, he was still being so rude and being just a jerk on the phone to me. And at the end of the phone call, I said, sir, is there anything else we can help you with today? <laughs> without getting upset, without, you know, all I did, I just showed him kindness one more time. And I felt like that. I was like, oh, yeah, take this heap of ashes, put it on his head, you know. <laughs> I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Tonight, whether your enemy looks at you in the mirror, whether it's a mother-in-law or a boss or somebody who's sitting on the other side of the church tonight, we must not give place to Satan or allow him to work out strife and division. We cannot allow enemies to have a place in our heart. This, this living for God in this life is going to produce some enemies. The world is going to hate you. Even when you're really living, especially when you're really living for God. Don't give them the victory by entering sin. God will defend the righteous. And that's where we come back to that scripture in the book of Psalms 39, excuse me, 34. Psalm 34, verse 19. Listen again carefully. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. It never guaranteed, the Bible never guaranteed that your life would be rosy, wonderful, raining $100 bills but it does guarantee that the Lord will deliver you. Now remember, I started this message by talking about all of the persecutions that the Jews have faced over thousands of years. All of the difficulties that they've gone through, all of the kings and princes and all of the attacks, 
Nazi Germany, anti-Semitism, thousands of years, right? And yet, today, the Jewish people and the Jewish nation have never been stronger. Despite thousands of years of being hated by someone, the Jews are still thriving. Think about this. They're, the Jews represent 0.2% of the world population. Did you catch that figure? 0.2% of the world population. Anybody want to take a guess how, what percentage of Nobel Prize winners are Jewish? 20. 20% 20 of all Nobel Prizes that have ever been awarded are Jewish. 20%. Despite only 0.2% of the population in America, the 10 wealthiest Americans in this nation, want to take a guess how many of them are Jewish? Five. Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Ellison, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, and Michael Bloomberg. The top 12, uh, the, the, the 12 top turning, well, sorry, the 12 top earning actors in Hollywood, three of them are Jewish. Adam Sandler, Mila Kunis, Scarlett Johansson. Let me just read this list of the, some, of the, some of the products that have been invented or introduced by Jewish people. And you tell me if your life has been improved or not. Ready? Clairol, Estee Lauder, Revlon, Fabergé, Burt's Bees. Ooh, that's a good, I need some of that right now. Slim Fast, Ben & Jerry, Sara Lee, Sweet & Low, Snapple, Haagen-Dazs, Hot Pockets. The single man right there. He said yes. Fiji Water, Dunkin' Donuts, Kraft Cheese. Monster Energy Drinks. The whole church just shouted, Amen. Amen. Rockstar, Baskin Robbins, Nathan's Famous, Starbucks, Burger King, Porsche, Atlantic Records, Ticketmaster, Sony Music, Q-Tips. Mr. Coffee, invented by the very first drip coffee machine, invented by a Jewish man. Yellow Cab Company, shopping carts. The Gap, Calvin Klein, Michael Kaur, Ralph Lauren, Guess, Levi Strauss, Timberland, Bloomingdale's 99-cent stores. Gimbel's, Costco, Home Depot, Neiman Marcus, Marshall's, Staples, J. Crew, Family Dollar, Macy's, Men's Warehouse, Mattel, Hasbro, Toys R Us, Teddy Bears, invented by Jews. FAO Schwartz, did you catch that Jewish name? Dell, Intel, SanDisk, Qualcomm. Every one of you have a cell phone tonight? There's a Qualcomm chip in there. Invented in Israel. WhatsApp, Pandora, Match.com. Patrick, you want to quit eating Hot Pockets? Nope. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Polaroid, Groupon, Cisco, PayPal, Craigslist, Google, Vonage, Comcast, Compaq, Android. If you have an Android phone, if you suffer an Android phone, invented by a Jew. eBay, Facebook, Verizon, Virgin Mobile, Semantic, Yahoo, Warner Brothers, Yelp, Reddit, 23andMe, Vine, Lyft, Jerry Bruckheimer, Marvel Studios, right, Stan Lee, World Gym, Gold's Gym, Zumba Fitness, Hyatt Hotel, the list is 12 pages long. 0.2% of the population. Let me ask you, is the world better or worse because of the Jewish people? Now do you see why God preserves his people? Tonight, I want you to get this vision. 
that God gives you victory and He preserves you, not just for you, but so that you can become a blessing. The promise that God gave to Abraham was, you'll be blessed. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That came true, didn't it? Can I tell you that same promise holds for you? The righteous. Many are the afflictions, but God will persevere. God will make sure that you stay true. God will deliver you out of them all. I want you to be strengthened tonight and have confidence and faith that there is a God in heaven. You bring your trouble to Him. Bring your enemies to Him. And He is able to deliver tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we bring this service to a close, God's hand is encouraging somebody here tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.